On today's episode of Double Down Trent, we are getting ready for the release of Quentin Tarantino's latest movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We are welcoming on special reoccurring guest Coulter as we break down the top five best Tarantino scenes in a movie. We couldn't do the whole movie list, it's just too hard, so we're going to give you some scenes from movies like Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Inglorious Bastards, and many, many more. Actually, not many more. This is only his ninth feature film, folks. So we've got it all for you here. So stick around for episode 40 of Double Down Trent. Double Down Trent, you might want to tune in. Talking gambling and sports, predicting who might win. Pop culture to movies. Let's start up the combo. Ryan and Aaron, man versus the motto. Keep it authentic and it's always live. So competitive, so you know it's always hype. Make sure you subscribe. Trust you don't want to miss. Going all in here on Double Down Trent. Hey, yeah. Double Down Trent, let's go. This is Double Down Trent. You know what they call a, a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? Oh, man, they got the metric system. They wouldn't know what the fuck a quarter pounder is. And what do they call it? They call it the Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right. What do they call a Big Mac? Big Mac's a Big Mac, but they call it Le Big Mac. Le Big Mac. <laughs> what do they call a Whopper? I don't know. I didn't go on a Burger King. All right, welcome to Double Down Trent, the podcast where two elementary school buddies are talking sports, gambling, and pop culture. My name is Ryan. I am joined tonight by reoccurring guest Coulter, and we have got quite the episode. Coulter, are you ready to discuss Quentin Tarantino? Oh, I'm ready to oblige. I'm ready to oblige. <laughs> Great line, man. Uh, we were talking off air. We could probably do an individual podcast for every one of these movies, but we're somehow going to cram this into one juicy little nugget. This is easily the hardest assignment I've ever been given. High school, college <laughs> fails to compare to choosing five scenes from my all-time favorite filmmaker and then ranking those scenes, let alone choosing them. I Just as a, t- a test case, I asked one of my buddies uh, earlier in the day just to kind of get my, my wheels spinning to choose his five. And he said, I can maybe, maybe with an emphasis, choose 50 best. And I go, <laughs> yeah, that's not wrong. You know, I can't hate you for that. So, I mean, that's who we're dealing with. This is somebody who's been in my life uh, since I was a young teen. I hate to admit it, but I saw Pulp Fiction when I was like in middle school. And it yeah. just changed my life. And and he's just a revolutionary filmmaker and a, a true renegade and a bad he really, really. So for the listeners, what we're going to be doing, instead of breaking down and analyzing every movie and trying to figure out what our favorite Tarantino movie is, which we'll discuss a little bit. Yeah, Yeah. so the scenes are the real challenge. Yep, we decided to make it a little harder on ourselves and do the top five Quentin Tarantino scenes. So it's, I mean, we were talking off air. There's so many scenes. Every movie has four or five scenes that you could potentially throw in here as the best scene. And I cheated on like 10 of these because it's like I'm combining scenes uh, yep. you know, or, or just giving the whole chapter. You know, we'll go into it when we break it down. But, yeah, it's like, should I include the uh, the walking monologue in Pulp Fiction? No, that's not long enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm doing the top five and then I'm doing the honorable mention. I'm like, well, I love that monologue. It's yep. probably the best monologue in movie history, at least one of my favorites. 
But I can't have it because it's just too short. It's not <laughs> right, and it, and it doesn't really affect the movie. Like you know, it, it has an effect on it. Like it's obviously a huge role, but it's not like the same thing as them going to get the briefcase. That's why it's one of my favorite like monologues of all time, and oh, I, so I have that on my my honorable mentions, which we'll get to because yeah. it's just so random. It makes no sense. You could completely cut I, that out of the movie, and the movie of Pulp Fiction is still perfectly fine. But right. just having that in there well, is so go good. Back for the watch, and like so. That's if, true. If you look at the the true end of the movie, isn't like if you read. Uh, we're now we're doing a Pulp Fiction podcast, but if you rejigger all the plot points, isn't the final plot point Bruce Willis killing Travolta? Yeah, because Travolta that's has how to it take ends. Mia Wallace out on the date, and before Mia, yep. the date with Mia happens, he's got to get the drugs, and before the drugs, he meets Bruce Willis. Yeah, I think. Yeah. It's so that movie. I've seen someone break down the timeline of that chronologically. I'm like, I can't in my head. I can't wrap my head around it. <laughs> I'm not even lying. I've seen it 20 times, and now I'm talking about it on a podcast. I'm, I'm second guessing myself, but I think the you know the gimp is the end of the movie. He yes, you're right. He, he ends up with the gimp. After the gimp. Yeah. Travolta. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We should just. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna say we're gonna. This is a huge spoiler alert. If you guys haven't seen some Tarantino movies, don't listen to this. Come back later. I love how this just went right into. A- <laughs> <laughs> and the whole Anyways, reason. Yeah. yeah the whole reason we're doing this is because Tarantino has a new movie coming out this week called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I. I mean, we're both so excited to see this movie. Like we're talking, Tarantino movies are an event. It's like you go. And this is one of the movies and one of the directors. Well, I will pay money to go to the theater on opening weekend. I, without question, I'm going tomorrow night with my wife and, uh, I was thinking about it. I don't think there's another movie that I'll, I may ever see besides maybe the next Quentin Tarantino movie that I'll see on Thursday night at seven (laughs) o'clock when it premieres. I really, I've passed that stage in my life where I go do that, you know? And like I did for star Wars, the force Mm -hmm. awakens. I'm not going to do it for the Skywalker one that's coming out. I'll see it opening weekend, but I'm talking about opening night. And I just don't want to miss it. Like, I want to be thinking about it all Friday. I want to <laughs> I want I'm with Tarantino to carry me through my, my tough Friday at work. So uh, I'm excited. Oh, and I'm with you. It. And it's totally an event movie. It's, I've, I've had it circled for ever since they announced it. It's Same. And it's just been on my radar. And, and let's quickly talk about it because the yeah. cast of this movie is it, it, unbelievable. I mean, I mean, the top two, De Niro, uh, DiCaprio and Pitt. I was thinking about that the other day. There's never been a combo that high. It's like no, that's like LeBron and Michael Jordan. Yeah, I mean, talking about Brad Pitt, best actor in the '90s and 2000s, at least most famous, and then Leo was easily the most famous. Of most them. famous. Yeah, and I, I think now he he's been on a stretch where he could be argued as the best actor going Leo. Yeah, right. I mean, it's just incredible. And the, and the other thing I really love about this is is that they've both worked with Tarantino, and it's like a synergy of. Mm-hmm. You know, Django and Inglorious Bastards, and it's like it's it's all been coming to this forging uh, here in the 1960s. I love it. Oh yeah, and let me we'll just read off a, qu- a couple. So you got DiCaprio, you got Pitt, you've obviously got Margot Robbie, you got Kurt Russell, you got Luke Perry, you got Al Pacino. Yeah, I was gonna say, don't forget about Al Pacino's working with Quentin Tarantino. It's unbelievable at his stage of his career. It's like, yep, I want to do a Tarantino movie. <laughs> don't forget, you Michael Madsen's in this. Davian Lewis, Bruce Dern is another a Quentin Tarantino guy. Uh, yep. I mean, the list goes on and on. You said Kurt Russell. I mean, it's just crazy. I wouldn't uh, be shocked, too, if somehow we get, like, an uncredited Sam Jackson cameo. We're getting an uncredited somebody cameo. Right. I, I, that's how the dark internet is telling me. There's, there's, there's grumblings about a, a big Hollywood heavyweight out there. And, and real quick, 
Yeah, let's let's talk about this because we we're we're doing this a little off air, but let, let's uh, address the little rumors that we're hearing about this. Uh, you go ahead and, and take this away because you filled me in this, and it kind of blew my mind. Yeah. So the dark internet rumor is that Jack Nicholson has a cameo in this movie, which would be all time great. Which would be incredible. That was when his fame was booming, and like, what a touchback to like Easy Rider came out in '69, and like that was the end of this great Hollywood era and also the kind of beginning of what I would say was actually Hollywood becoming new age or whatever. But like it it really started to peak up again into the, you know, mid seventies. So easy rider, Jack Nicholson, I mean, he's a key part to Hollywood history. Yeah. And, and Jack hasn't, he hasn't really been acting. No, he's been the last 10 decades. Yeah. 10 years. years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it would be something. It would be something. If he is, I just saw something on the, the, you know, looking up this movie. Yeah. So excited. Real quick, go through too, because we were discussing kind of who's going to have the better roles. It can be Pitt or DiCaprio. So you kind of have some theories and some thoughts based on some things that you read, right? So what I read is that DiCaprio wanted the role of Cliff Booth. He wanted to be the stuntman and not the lead actor. So the rumor is, is that the Cliff Booth role is really, really rich. Not that the Rick Dalton role is not, but I mean, I'm very excited. I mean, Cliff Booth, great character name, but I'm just so pumped <laughs> to see Brad Pitt again being like, he plays off the lead so well. Ocean yeah. Eleven, like, that's his best. He's so good. 12 Monkeys is another one of his great roles. Bruce Willis is his lead. He's the side actor. He's so good when he gets to play, like, the Scotty Pippen role. I even going to, like, wait. Even, like, movie like Fight Club, he's playing off Edward Norton. He's got yes. a, a, an actor worthy to, to bounce off of. I mean, it's his best work. And with Leo, you're going to get him both. Yeah, it, I really can't wait to see them together on the screen. It, it it almost sounds like it's too good to be true. It's like yeah. it's just a dream pairing of, uh, of collaborators, yeah. And you've got Margot Robbie, who I'm obsessed with. She's a phenomenal actress. She's gorgeous. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. really excited to see I what mean, she's going to bring. Yeah, I mean, also, we should just, before we put a button on the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I, maybe you have an answer to this, uh, the big question here is, what are we doing with the Sharon Tate character? Because obviously, she, in real life, she gets murdered by... Right the Manson family. Uh, but you know, is this going to be a historical reimagination where Cliff and Rick kick down the doors and save her or, like, right. or is she going to die? I mean, we know Manson's in the movie. We know all of his gang is in the movie. Um, and I think Brad Pitt stumbles upon it at one point. Yeah. So there's and, a whole Charles Manson storyline here. Yeah. that's going to be played out. So is it a historical reimagination like inglorious and, and, uh, Django. Django, but you know, yeah. So how does it, how does this play out here in the Hollywood 1969? It's a great question. And I've intentionally gone and, and tried not to read anything about the plot, <laughs> about what happens, because I, I love being just surprised. Like when I, when I saw oh, in yeah. glorious bastards, there's like Brad Pitt's in a movie where they kill Nazis. I was like, I'm in Django's like, all right, there's Leo, there's Jamie Foxx. He's a, like a slave revenge star. I'm like in, like, I didn't need to need like hear read any extra things. Once I heard this movie, I was like, I'm trying to go dark. I just want to, Go see this movie without knowing anything. <laughs> it's the right way to do it. I'm sorry if I'm bl- I'm blowing too much of the uh, the things I've read. I, I I think I've been too bored with what they've produced in Hollywood uh, this year. So I've just been anticipating this one almost too much, probably. Yeah, and I don't know. Uh, so we did Crossfire last week with with Aaron, and the segment I I did was I asked him a question about. There's only one original non-comic book movie in the top 10 of box office and that's us by jordan peele so seeing uh you know an original creative movie coming out is just refreshing and it's huge you know they have the whole red carpet you know know, events everybody's talking about it and again it's event movie huge stars you just don't get these very often 
And, you know, I've, I've been saying this to people all week, and I think I texted it to you earlier. It's like, I've been going to see Quentin Tarantino movies in the theater since Kill Bill 1. I saw that when I was 13 after I just saw Pulp Fiction. And I was like, I've got to see every movie that this guy makes. And I saw the uh, Grindhouse movie with Robert Rodriguez in theaters. And it's just been like every movie since then. Yep. And I've seen it right away, too. It's like it's like catnip. I can't get enough of it. And I remember seeing <laughs> Glorious Bastards, and we'll get into that soon. But that was just like every movie I can remember seeing of his in the last 16 years that he's released. I remember exactly the theater I was in, who I saw it with, how I felt, what day I saw it, you know, like what the weather conditions. Like You just don't have that recall with people anymore. And it's just such a special thing to have with a director. Totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, so needless to say, we're very excited. So let's jump right in. Let's jump right into our top five Tarantino scenes. So what we're going to do is we're going to work our way from five down to one. We're going to alternate. Um, and I think we're going to have some overlap here, obviously. But uh, why don't you take it away here? Give us your number five most watchable or favorite scene from a Tarantino movie. Yeah, when I was doing this, I was kind of taken aback because I love film endings. It's like I think if I compiled all my favorite scenes in all movies, I would seven of ten would be film like endings. You know, like Godfather Two, um, Blade Runner. We don't have to go into that, but like the Tarantino openings. And my number five is the opening of Pulp Fiction with Vincent Jules retrieving the briefcase. So technically, mm-hmm. there's the scene in the diner, and then he's got the two songs and that, that mash up. Yeah, and then, and then we just jump right into, um, you know, Vince's trip to Europe and the uh, you know uh, Burger King a Royale with cheese, Ow, cheese. the <laughs> Big Mac, yeah. So you know they have the whole discussion in the car. They go get the guns out the trunk. They roll up. They knock out. No, actually, you know, first of all, the best part about that scene is actually when they roll up. They they reverse back, have a mini dialogue about him being a foot fucking master, and then they bang on the fucker's door. Yeah. It's such a great two and a half minute break. And it's just like it really that's exactly what he's going for. It's like, yeah, there's something more important about to happen, but like we have time to talk about the foot fucking master. Have you ever given a foot massage? <laughs> Don't be telling me about foot massages. I'm the foot fucking master. You're giving a lot of them? Shit, yeah. Got my technique down and everything. I don't be tickling or nothing. Would you give a guy a foot massage? Fuck you. And I love it because yeah, so after good. that, after that scene comes out, and after that movie comes out, that that just whole idea of a scene where you got two, I guess like hitmen killers just talking about nonsense, that's been ripped off and copied so many times, so many times yeah. now. And I'm not a true movie historian but i'd like to think i am but as far as i can remember that's the first time when you see these two guys who are so you know serious about being killers and are gonna go murder somebody who are talking about foot massages and royale with cheese like it's yeah. awesome you only got that kind of uh let's just call it for lack of a better word stony dialogue in comedies i feel yep. like you know like i'm thinking of slater from days and confused like you see comic characters that are that out there but these two guys they're like Floyd, Brad Pitt's character in True Women, it's almost like they're talking like they're stoned about all these r- variety of topics, and it's just so lived in and real, and they just got such a chemistry, and the way that it's filmed, and then, of course, they bust down the door, and that dialogue is amazing. Say what again, motherfucker? Again. And, and, and the whole thing is, and, and then, you know, he recites the thing, and then, the, ah, it's so good. It's the best opening. It really just, I can't believe it's five, actually, because, I mean, it, it, Thinking about it right now, it's probably it's my favorite movie 
my at least the movie that impacted me, I feel like the most to like film and love movies more than any other movie. And so that opening scene, I mean, that's up there with any other scene in any other movie. It's, it's so yeah, damn dynamic and good. The dialogue too is, I mean, that's the best screen. Right? The dialogue is incredible. And I'm, I'm cheating with mine. Cause I actually have this as my number two favorite scene. So we might as well cover it. I'm jumping up here in my list. Um, but everything with Jules and Vern, I mean, I almost want to just have that just one scene be everything that is Jules and Vern. Cause even when they go meet the wolf, uh, and they're at Jimmy's house and all that whole scene where they're getting cleaned up, they're cleaning Marvin's okay. remains out of the car. Like it's just, it's fucking great. To your point. I mean, what makes that scene so great and what makes the film so great, we can get into this a little later when we just do our quick rankings. And this is what makes Pulp fiction is like it, they shoot, you know, he fires the weapons and then you don't know what happens to them. The briefcase, the guys in the room, there's, it totally breaks them. You don't see Jules or Vince for another hour yeah. together in that setting. So you have no idea what happens to them there. And then, of course, the genius that Tarantino is, he does show us exactly what happens to them that very day. And it's they bring this Marvin character who survived the shooting, who's in the bathroom. And then the movie really turns on a dime when Vince's gun goes off and kills Marvin. I've always said that it triggers the last third of the movie. And you get the wolf, and you—it's just the sequence there. You're right; it's just so well done, and it's yeah, it's the most innovative movie of all time. The script is just incredible, and what else is there to say? I mean, he's a trailblazer. He breaks all the structural rules that we ever knew before. Year, yeah, right? yeah, and not to mention bringing bringing uh, Travolta's career back from the the dead. But yeah, that that's the, the whole scene. The whole—he's a star. He's a jewels. star maker. I mean. In this movie that's coming out uh, this weekend, I mean, there's somebody that we're not talking about that we're going to be talking about on Monday when we do the review that we're going to be like, that person is the next big star. And Tarantino has done that with Walt. He's done that with Samuel L. Jackson. He's done that with Steve Buscemi, Michael Madsen. I mean, the list goes mm-hmm. on and on. Uh, most importantly of all those, actually, even more than Walt, who's won two Academy Awards, Uma Thurman. She obviously had a career before, but I mean, he made her into a gigantic star, gigantic yep. star. Yep. And, uh, you know, and then, he, of course, he revives the careers of people like Travolta, Keitel. I mean, it goes on and on and on. His origin, his history is just it's unbelievable. Again, we could do this for hours on end. Hours, hours. Um, <laughs> We're only so, in one scene and I'm already rambling. I know. It's ridiculous. But that, that's what happens, especially with Pulp Fiction. What's your, what's your, what's your number five? Because I, I, I want to talk about this scene so badly. Yeah. So my number five uh, is from Reservoir Dogs. So it's the uh, story that Mr. Orange is, is telling about how he can kind of infiltrate the gang and prove that he's not some kind of just narc or, or you know, whatever it is. So he tells his whole – The drug-sniffing dog. The drug-sniffing dog. The drug dog. Oh, he ends up in the so bathroom. Good. It's just – it's such a good story story and the scene is incredible too because you get you get tarantino building it so you get the him rehearsing the speech him practicing the speech his cop buddy is like giving him some extra information and like providing some other details to really make the story believable and you go from practice the story and telling the story in front of this criminal gang trying to you know prove that he's legit and i just love everything about it i love the way it's shot i love the flashbacks it's just incredible so I walk into the men's room, and who's standing there? Four Los Angeles County sheriffs and a German shepherd. They're waiting for you? No, it's just a bunch of cops hanging out in the men's room talking. When I walk through the door, they all stop what they were talking about, and they looked at me. <laughs> That's hard, man. That's a fucking hard situation. <laughs> German shepherd starts barking. He's barking at me. I mean, 
is obvious. He's barking at me. Every nerve ending, all my senses, blood in my veins, everything I have is screaming, take off, man. Just bail, just get the fuck out of there. Panic hits me like a bucket of water. First there's a shock of it, bam, right in the face. I'm just standing there drenched in panic and all these sheriffs looking at me and they know, man, they can smell it. Sure as that fucking dog can, they can smell it on me. Yeah, I mean, that was the very first, I mean, his very first big movie. And then also, I mean, that uh, he's, he did a couple other flashbacks in that movie to the bank robbery. But like that was the real big flashback that he was kind of building towards yep. that. Because in that scene, it's revealed he is the cop. Or, or no, you know he's a cop the whole time. But it's revealed exactly what he's doing um, and how he's been kind of been doing it the whole time. And yeah. so uh, it's just such a great reveal. And yeah, again, Tarantino just... He plays with time better than any other director oh, yeah. or screenwriter out there. Yeah, and, and by the time that story is told, you know he's the cop. But for a good portion of that movie, you don't know who the cop is. And it's like a, yeah. it's like a mystery movie almost in, in, in one little room. It, it's just – it's so good. Um, oh, it, 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 yeah, I was going to mention that movie, you know, if he needed it to – and it's almost like he used that out of necessity, the, the flashback, because it really is just a one-room movie or, you know, they go outside real quick to get the gasoline from the trunk and then there's one other room in that building. But it really is just a one-room movie. And it's so dynamic and has such a pulse. And we'll talk, I'm sure, more about Reservoir Dogs. But that's, oh, yeah. that is a great scene. Tim Roth's amazing. And, and it really is. Uh, again, that's just like the um, shooting Marvin, the final third of Reservoir Dogs. That kind of cop story kind of triggers the final Yep. The final and chapter, the final third of it. It's a perfect segue. So give us your number four scene. Oh, my number four is, you're right, yeah, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, I was like, what is my number four? <laughs> and it's the, uh, of course, the classic ear-cutting scene. You know, I was rearranging this list so many different times, and I was thinking, you know, it, that is the definitive Tarantino. I mean, I just yeah. said, again, he's a renegade. He's a rule breaker. He does things the way he wants to do them. And there are no rules with this guy, and that scene defines him. And arguably, you know, if he died tomorrow, what would you – what is the scene? You know, it could be that. that is, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be disappointed. I mean, that is the scene. I mean, it's such a, it's such an iconic shot stuck in the middle with you. You can't hear the song without thinking of Michael Madsen. Oh yeah. But you know, maniacally laughing and cutting off the guy's ear. And then of course the, you know, the tilt away with reservoir dogs in that scene, it's the cutaway very brief as he's cutting off the guy's ear. You don't need to see the violence that's implied. Uh, and just, you know, yeah, I mean, Madsen was his first real cynical villain type. Not that any of these guys in this movie are good. They're all kind of dirt, <laughs> dirt bag, lowlifes. And it's so funny that Buscemi is the one who walks out of the, you know, with yeah. the money because he's he's arguably the dirtiest of all, or at least he's the most skeevy. He doesn't care morally about anybody. It's it's, right. it's weird. It's morally ambiguous that he's the one who gets out of it because he doesn't give a <laughs> shit about anybody other than himself. But uh, yeah. Madsen's great in the scene. He's he's QT's first true villain, so uh, you got to get to. I've got this as my first runner up, and the only reason it's my first runner up is that I tried to only uh, get one scene from a movie. But this is, you said it, it's an iconic scene. Uh, it could be his most famous scene, and yeah, it really could be. Just the 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 juxtaposition of the song stuck in the middle with you, which is such <laughs> an uplifting, like makes you want to kind of just smile. 
they use that on commercials now. And yeah. I hear that, I'm like, who allowed this to go to, to, to print or whatever right. they do with commercials? Like, how did you approve this is the song? It's the song from Reservoir Dog. Did they not see you guys that you get cut off? Use that to sell Lay's potato chips? Yeah. And I mean, Madsen is terrifying. Like, you actually feel like you don't know what's going to happen. You, you, I, I almost didn't think, like, Obviously, I didn't think he's gonna cut his ear off, but I thought he was gonna kill the guy. And it's actually worse. He just cuts his ear off and tortures him and puts gasoline on the cut. Like, oh, it's just it's such a good scene. I'm fucking dying, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to actually a little personal tip, but I actually got to see Reservoir Dogs, the 25th anniversary screening at Tribeca. Oh. And Steve Buscemi was a row behind me. And no QT way. was like QT was like three or four rows behind me and right in the middle. He was he made such a grand entrance in the whole room. It was so great. And then they had like a QA with Harvey and Michael and, and Steve on the stage and Tim Roth. And it was it was just awesome. Dude, that must have been unreal. Yeah, it was probably the best film film moment of my life, I would say. I mean, you're, you're never I've never been in a room with Quentin Tarantino before, and it probably never will be. Oh, God, I'm jealous. I actually yeah. I wanted to do that when Goodfellas had their 25th anniversary. I tried to do that, but it was like sold out, it was so expensive, I couldn't do it. Yeah, I, I got lucky with the press badge, so that's why I got to see it for free. It was so great. That's fucking awesome. I'm jumped, man. <laughs> I know. Matt, Matt and Madsen was one of my buddies asked, like, who stole the show? And I was like, oh, Mike Madsen. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it wasn't even close. It's yeah. Like, Madsen was unbelievable. He was on edge the whole time. Like he, oh. and you got to see exactly why Tarantino loves him. He might not be Brad Pitt, but this guy, he's talented. He knows what oh, he's yeah. doing. And that's why he shows up in so many Tarantino movies. Like you can just tell there's certain actors that Tarantino loves to work with and, and they love working with him. And he's definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, my number four scene I have is from kill bill volume two. Uh, it's where the bride obviously kills bill. It's the name of the movie. Um, such an emotional gut punch. I love that scene. It's, it's just, it's such a good scene for so many reasons. And the two of them, you have such animosity and such like a history that you would not the final scene to be like a five minute dialogue between the two of them it's so good i just want to read the quote here so it starts off where uma thurman the bride she looks over at bill and she goes you and i have unfinished business baby you ain't kidding oh he's so good keith carradine he should have won an oscar for it it was such a great performance that final sequence only reason why it wasn't on my list is i saw it was on yours and I wanted to let, just let you talk about it and kind of squeak in a couple more Pulp Fiction ones. I mean, it's I can't blame you there, but the yeah. scene, the the dialogue in there, and obviously this is Tarantino at its finest. Is he's he's a screenwriter as well as a director, and he's as good a screenwriter as he is a director. Yeah, the words but, are so good; they're still yeah. incredible. And this is a theme with Tarantino: is he he stages every shot perfectly i mean I, I really would say that because he he thinks about everything he thinks about like the 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 blocking of where the actors are in relation to the camera like really sets up the room the scene the tension and you just never know if if one of them is going to kill the other at any point and then the bride does her cool ass you know five point exploding heart thing then they were talking about previously and bill takes his couple of steps and drops dead i mean it's a it's a fantastic I mean, what, thing. Is, what his final line isn't it you can be a real cunt yeah it's like and that's the the tarantino sarcastic it's it's so good yeah and then he just drops that i always remember seeing that i was just like yeah and the other thing about that scene brilliant 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 flashback probably the best flashback of his entire writing career is 
the bride finding out she was pregnant a minute before she was going to get gunned down by Bill's assassin. And then she reveals that to him in that final scene. Yeah, that is such an emotional gut punch. And I'm glad you had it on your list because I was listening to a Tarantino pod the other day and they said they didn't, he doesn't have emotional moments in his movies or not a lot of them. And I was like, that is an emotional yeah. moment. I mean, yeah. they have, they have the, you know, they tuck their daughter in and then he shoots her with the train gun. It, yeah. You know, it's so they'll lead up to it. And then of course, yeah, as you're saying, the final dialogue is so good. And then she says something like she's a bad person or something too. It's like, it's really heartbreaking. Cause it's like, she's really hated herself uh, for what she did, which is run away from bill. And she, re- that's really, you know, eating at her. And then now it's like the situation where she can't have him back. She's got to kill him, but she's still, uh, it's, it's so good. It's fantastic. Like and, and yeah, I mean, of all the movies that has the most, I think, uh, you know, an emotional resonance, like not, not many of his movies, you focus on a main couple. I mean, obviously we're going to briefly touch on true romance, but that's a movie he wrote and didn't direct. So we're, we're not quite having it in there, but, um, yeah, I mean it's just it's such a good scene, such a good movie. And hot take, I actually like Kill Bill Two better than Kill Bill One. <laughs> I do. You know, a lot. It's, this is why we avoided doing the ranking of the movies <laughs> because it's tough. I go back and forth every time I watch. So I've most recently watched one, so I kind of like one a little bit more than two right now. But like, all it would take for me is to watch two. Uh, and I'm probably going to be more of a fan of two. And it's like two has the ending, which is so good. And uh, two also has my number three scene. Take it away, man. <laughs> this is beautiful segues here. <laughs> I'll transition. Yeah, I mean, to your point earlier, I think you said, you know, we don't have all film history in our hand or, you know, whatever. But there's been a lot of scenes written, I'm sure, about regret and what characters. And, you know, we just talked about one. You know, uh, the bride bee definitely regrets leaving Bill and doing what she did. Yep. Um, but no other scene in movie history that I can recall does regret as well as Elle talking to Bud about the fact, you know, she says her biggest regret is that my greatest enemy met her end at some shack, some bumbling fucking idiot. The biggest R I feel is regret. Regret that maybe the greatest warrior I have ever met met her end at the hands of a bushwhacking, scrub, elky piece of shit like you. Her, she is a viper. And then, of course, the snake comes out. And then Elk, or a bee comes in, and they, her and L fucking brawl. And yep. In the, in the trailer, after Bud is dead, spoiler alert, the whole thing is just amazing. I mean, gut punch, she just is like... She gives them the biggest fuck you I've ever heard anybody give somebody in the movie. He, she, L tells Bud basically, you're such a sack of shit that like all the things that have gone wrong in my life, my enemy dying at your hands is my, <laughs> my number one by far. Like, I'm so irate about this. Like you won't even know. And I'm going to kill you now with this, <laughs> with the spider. And I don't know. It's a, it's a snake. Sorry, yeah. It's, a sna- uh, it's like a black mamba, I believe. Yeah, sorry. I, I said snake originally, and then I started doubting myself with the spider. But yeah, it's a yeah. snake. But it's, it's – and so, again, the irony because her nickname was like the snake or something like that, and she gets killed by a snake or the viper or something like that. But yeah. Um, but she doesn't die either. It's one of those kind of like oh, yeah. you see it off screen. It's implied she blinds her, takes yep. her other eye, and then leaves her there screaming uh, in confusion. So it's – how many of these characters do we know that just like we don't even know how their fates end? It's yeah. Like, 
we don't know how her fate ends. She's one of the characters. She's on fucking bees kill list for Christ's yep. sakes. She doesn't die in the movie, but you know, it's, that's the fun part of these movies. You and know? Daryl Hannah, Daryl Hannah killed it in that role. I mean, she was, she was, Oh, and talk Daryl about, Hannah. you know, re, 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 re resurrecting someone's career. Daryl Hannah, I knew her from like Another flash one. and like those older yep. movies, but then all of a sudden yep. she comes back as this like badass assassin with an eye patch and just, just I, I should say, by the way, I butchered earlier. I said Keith Carradine. He was on Deadwood. David Carradine. David Bill, Carradine. And again, career revival. I mean, this guy Tarantino, he's a real magician. I mean, we can we can do a podcast on just the people that he's resurrected. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's just yeah. unbelievable. So my number three, my, I might have ranked a little high, um, but I just love the movie. No, not love- at all. This scene is an all-timer. It's so good. <laughs> so for me, it's the Candyland dinner scene in Django Unchained. So uh, the whole dinner scene is is really incredible. It's it's like a 35, 40-minute scene. Uh, specifically, though, for me, it's when Sam Jackson's character tells Leo that they're not here for the Mandingo. They're here for, for Carrie Washington's yeah. character. And from that point on, it's it's perfect vintage Tarantino where he just ratchets up the tension. Where it's all time there, it's so good. Ah, and because Candy's carving up the skull at the table, and you know you don't know what Django and King Schultz are thinking. They're sitting there like, is he gonna sell us the? Like, are we good? Is he gonna kill us? What's gonna happen? And it just explodes from there. It all the way leads up to uh, them confessing. They basically make the deal to to get uh, Broomhilda out of uh, Candyland. And it ends, obviously, with the big, massive shootout and Christoph Waltz shooting Leo. I mean, it, and chaos ensues. But um, one of my favorite scenes from them, don't, it, it's don't just so Don't forget that they have, they have white cake in the park. White. We'll be serving <laughs> white cake. <laughs> now, gentlemen, if you care to join me in the parlor, we will be serving white cake. And that's that's the that's the beauty of the Tarantino script is that all this crazy shit happens, all this tension, violence, and it's just like, what experience? <laughs> yeah, it's it, the movie is a civil war <laughs> set revenge drama about a slave and a <laughs> bounty hunter. Yet I laugh at so many of the little things, uh, you know, like when they're coming down from the mountains and the guys like come in out of the snow, like yep. that part kills me. Anything with Don Johnson kills me. Oh. My fantasy football team name was named uh, that Peckerwood Jerry. That's <laughs> one of the, it's like a throwaway line that he just says, but like it's the whole thing with the slate, her, his slave and Django and him wearing the outfit, that whole exchange is great. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, Django is, it's such a funny movie. And you're right, the white cake in the middle of the most tense scene. It's such, yeah. such a funny line. It's so great. And, and real quick, one of my runner up scenes is uh, the clan hood scene where yeah. they're like, I can't see it on this thing. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah. I mean, the, that, the whole Don Johnson arc is just so well played. It's fantastic. And I love, too, that um, that Jonah Hill makes a brief cameo as one of the guys. Yeah, it goes and shows it, yeah. Uh, Tarantino just I'll, – I'll beat this drum as loud as I can again and again. He just does not play by the rules. He'll get Jonah Hill to cameo. He'll do anything he wants. He'll, he can do. You know, that's yeah. the – that's what he did with with Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. He's been doing ever since. He's just a rule breaker, and you gotta love somebody that's that defiant of an industry like yeah. Hollywood. And and he 
he really he lives the ethos of the rules are what you make them and and he's a true old model of mine yeah and just in that can't scene, say good things i keep just praising him i know but <laughs> great career in that scene too you're you're talking about something so heavy and dark and evil as the clan but you also put in the absurdity of them talking about well right. who, my wife spent hours you know fixing up these holes and, and sewing up these hoods it's like yeah i don't want to point any fingers yeah <laughs> How about this time we wear the hood, we take the hoods off, and next time we fix them and wear them next time. <laughs> like he's like you're, you're letting Big Daddy get away. And it's he, so yeah, ridiculous. So, yeah, I love that sequence. Yeah, the clan hood scene is it's so good. Yeah, so that's my number three. So now we are getting into primetime territory, my friend. I think this I think this transitions perfectly because the Candyland Diner scene is like of all the scenes in the Quentin Tarantino catalog. I think there's two that are like literally sisters or brothers or related or whatever. And it's Candyland Diner scene and Once Upon a Time in Nazi-occupied France oh. opening in Inglorious Bastards. Those scenes are so interconnected with the way that he just is playing with the tension. It is just, t- oh. It's so good. It's, you know, Waltz breaks out his pipe. Meanwhile, <laughs> he's talking about eviscerating, you know, a whole sect of people. And, you know, you love him and you hate him and you flip 48 times in a 20-minute dialogue. You know, you're like so amazed by this guy, but you're also just like he clearly is kind of the villain here. But, uh, you know, kind of want to see what happens with him. I, you know, but the other thing about this scene that I love is that you have no investment in either of these two actors. You don't know Waltz when you first meet him, and you don't know the guy who plays uh, Petite. Or Le Petit. Le Petit. The, yeah. So you don't know any of these people, mm-hmm. and yet you really are invested right off the bat. And it's – you know, I said it at the beginning of the podcast. He's so good at these opening scenes, Reservoir Dogs, the diner scene, you're in immediately. It has a, a pace and a pulse unlike any film ever. Where Reservoir Dogs, it's like a bullet out of a gun. Pulp yep. Fiction, same thing. They're talking a mile a minute at the diner, then you're in with Jules and, and Vince, and they're talking about Royale with cheese, big kahuna burger, and, <laughs> and they're just dropping line after line. But of all the intros that he does, and Kill Bill's got a great one as well, and Jackie Brown even has a great introduction, this opening is unbelievable. Uh, the tension is – you can't even believe that that's the opening of the movie actually in hindsight. Like it's like that's how he decided to open the movie. Yeah, and it's, – It's incredibly intense. Anybody could die too. It's like that, Obviously in hindsight, Walt is the main character, one of the main characters, but I mean – it could easily flip on him too. You know, you don't know what the hell is going to happen there. Yeah, and only due to my technicality rules of having one scene per movie, I think this could have been my number one Tarantino scene of all time. I think it's one of the best scenes in movie history. Everything about it, and especially on the first time you watch it, you you can sense there's a ton of tension, but you don't know the stakes until all of a sudden they they bring the camera through the floorboards and you see the, right. the you know family hiding below the floorboard, and you're like, holy shit! And then it ratchets up even more tension, and then. Obviously, what's great about it too is you can you can rewatch those scenes. So when when you know it's coming and you've rewatched this movie from the very start of the movie, once you see the car rolling up, they've got like Beethoven music playing. Every ounce of that scene is just perfect, and I wouldn't change a thing. It's not very often where you where at least for me, where I'm watching a scene mostly in another language, having to read the subtitles, and I am absolutely glued and gripped as to what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you're just, you, you nailed it with the camera, too. You know, a lot of these scenes, you know, are done with the words that are spoken and his great um, screenplays. I, a lot of the Pulp Fiction stuff, a lot of the Reservoir Dog stuff, it's all his screenplay. 
but you just nailed it with the way that he does the shooting uh, above the table and then he goes beneath the floorboards. It's incredible. The close-ups on Waltz, just the Waltz, you don't know what Waltz is going to do at any given moment. And it's just the unpredictability of that. And it's, it's just an incredible opening. And yeah, I totally cheated because this is like a, it's a 20 minute scene, I think. And, yeah, but uh, I, I, it, I cheated with my set, my, my number one as well. But uh, these, I mean, when I think of Tarantino, it's kind of funny. I always thought of Pulp Fiction until I sat down in the theater 10 years ago and saw Glorious Bastards uh, in Danbury, Connecticut. And that is when I, now when I think of Tarantino, I really do think of, of that opening scene with, with Walt. Yeah. And that, that's not cheating. That's a scene. It doesn't matter if it's 20 minutes long. Cause that whole, that's one <laughs> scene. Che- he cheats too. I mean, right. talk about an opening. I mean, it is, you, you get to, you, it's such an unload of information. And I think the other reason why it was so tense when you first saw it, and it kind of is still, even though you know how it's going to play out, it's like, you're in the movie to go see Brad Pitt kill Nazis. As right. you said, it's like the plot. It, so it's like, when I first saw it, I was thinking like, Oh man, where the hell are the, where are the bastards? They're going to come out of nowhere and run train on these guys. And this is going to be an amazing like action battle scene, you know, instead what we get is this dreary, you know, just the, you know, the Jew hunter is killing, you know, the people in the, the petite's house, you know, that it's, it, it goes, yeah. it really plays with your expectations. The first view and uh, it doesn't lose any energy in the, the second or, you know, several viewings after that. It, it makes you just want to watch, keep watching the movie. It's yeah, so good. absolutely. And I know a podcast that we both really love, the, the Rewatchables, they discussed this one. They nailed it too. They got it perfect. There's a quote that I absolutely love. It cracks me up every time because it's it's just such a well-written but also well-acted line. And, and so when Hans Landa goes, ooh, I love rumors. Facts can be so misleading, but rumors, true or false, are often revealing. <laughs> Yeah, was, and then, of course the language too. I mean, that's I mean, it's so yeah. innovative. I mean, I, I can't think. I know that there's probably other movies out there that have done this, but I mean, the switching back and forth—it's just incredible. It plays with the everything about the character. You just don't know who he is. You really don't know anything about him, and you know, right. it gives you a little background, but he could be lying. You know. The whole mm-hmm. movie is really a facade that everyone's playing each other. It's it's kind of like everyone's a spy almost in some sense. And, no and one... real quick, the last thing on this from my standpoint is that everything about that scene too is why I love Tarantino because the music is perfect. The cinematography is perfect. The oh, acting so is perfect. The script is perfect. Like everything about that scene, whether it's just like the, even the score, like the, the score of the soundtrack is perfectly building up the tension as well even to like the point right where they lead up to shooting in the floorboards you're like holy shit like it was it was thrilling yeah and then shoshana's running away he doesn't go after her either and it's just like you know it's just like the pulp fiction intro too it's like you don't see waltz again for a little while so it's yeah. like you don't know did he go after her like what happened to this girl? Yep. and of course we get it later on but it's just again tarantino playing with all these different things and, you know, as much as the movie is about the bastards and Aldo Rain, I did not know going into the movie, you know, I, that it was going to be about her and what, you know, there's, it's more than just the bastards. The, movie, the bastards are just one part of the movie, you know? Yep. There's, there's a couple of plot lines going on. And I think that, that first uh, scene definitely kind of just plays with your expectations. I, I remember just being so shocked by everything that happens and it still am. I was just watching it last night and it was just like, this is the best. Yeah. It complete- and that, and that, and that, and that he has so many good scenes and that really is just 
an all timer. It's fantastic. Now, my number two, we already mentioned, is is Jules and, and Vincent scene, and I'm cheating as well because I really think it's the entirety of Jules and Vincent their, on the screen. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say their whole arc is so good. I mean, it's we, we should just jump into it. I mean, yeah, because it's your number two scene. I mean, you have we already went over the whole the first time you see them, but then the back end of it is he shoots Marvin, and then the movie just completely turns on its head. It's like they have to reroute, go to Quentin Tarantino's house. And then they got to wait for the wolf. And then you've got, you know, the wolf, everything about the wolf is amazing. And then you, of course they go to the diner dressed like idiots. Yep. And then they have the philosophical conversation, pumpkin pie, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Sewer rat might, might taste like pumpkin pie. I mean, every bit of dialogue is just dripping. It's so good. And then of course, you know, you get the briefcase, you don't get to see what's inside of it. Which shows. I love. Yeah. It's so good. And then, you know, the bad motherfucking wallet. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if you play it all out, it is the best. You know that is that's number one. If you play it all the way out, because I mean, it's if you include them, they don't kill Marvin with all those bullets, and then Vince <laughs> a- accidentally kills them, and then it completely redirects everything about their day, and right. they end up still doing just Vince and Jules shit. They're just talking, eating breakfast. Vince goes and takes a shit during the robbery. Right. It's it's so good. It's like and it goes all the way back to the very beginning where it's like they're not really. They're criminals, but they're not acting at a very fast pace. You know, it's not right. like they're trying to get away, kind of like Reservoir Dogs or even hide out. These are guys that are hiding in plain sight that are just doing bad things, but we wouldn't know the wiser. They're all out there. You know? Yeah. And, and to the Reservoir or not the Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction and Inglorious Bastards, I love both worlds so much. And that's why I like the introduction scenes. It's like I'm automatically into the Jules and Vince world in Pulp Fiction. I want to know everything about their lives, yeah. who they are. And then Inglorious Bastards, say no more. It's like you're reimagining France, French countryside in 1944 after D-Day. And it's like the Nazis are basically in this reality accepting defeat. And it's like, or maybe not accepting defeat, but Lana is turning on Hitler. It's, it's yep. all great. I mean, both worlds are amazing. So yeah, and with with Jules and and Vern or Jules and Vincent, I should say they they really flipped the archetype of of hitman. And like you said, normally for movies in the past, when you got a hitman or just a pure assassin, it's usually like the spy type, the quiet guy who's like a, a like massive person who's intimidating looking. You know, Jules and and Vincent, they don't they just they're wearing suits and kind of shooting the yeah. shit. <laughs> you're you're thinking of like Eric Bana in Munich, yep. quiet, soft spoken, or Jason Bourne. Yep, <laughs> it's like, exactly. These guys Both. are just like. They're they're seedy dudes, and it, it he plays off that world so well. And I was gonna say, I guess this is a better as good a time for any. My number two runner up because I had my top runner up was your number one scene because I just didn't want to do it as, in my top five. <laughs> but my number two, and this is just a personal favorite. It actually is my personal number one. Vincent and Lance drug exchange <laughs> talk is just fucking amazing. The Pepsi challenge, him doing the three different types of heroin. It is just the funniest shit of all time. And it's just like, it's just so great to just see that this guy who, we don't know what's in this this briefcase, but Marcellus is a serious guy. Mm-hmm. This serious guy's number one right-hand man, basically, right? Yep. I mean, you're led to believe these are his top two top guys. guys. Yep. <laughs> is a heroin junkie who takes shits during uh, restaurant <laughs> robberies and like, you know, accidentally shoot somebody in the head. It's the whole thing. It's it's crazy. And then they also do the killing in broad daylight in the guy's apartment in the op- it, opening scene. Everything about them is so interesting. I love it. Yeah, and that 
Vincent and Lance drug scene really segues into your, you're just taking away your number one scene because it's, it's just the whole arc of this one um, too is fantastic. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm totally cheating. Uh, Pulp Fiction is my number one scene is the Jackrabbit Slims dance contest, the milkshake dialogue. I quote the milkshake dialogue more than anything. That's why I, I was moving these around and I had the Inglorious Bastard scene number one. At one point I had Mr. 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 Blonde Ear scene number one. I was rejiggering them and I was thinking, you know what? I talk about the milkshake. The milkshake dialogue with Uma Thurman is definitely the most thing. That's what I quote the most. I got to uh, see what $5 milkshake tastes like. I got to know what a $5 shake tastes like. You can use my straw. I don't have cooties. Yeah, but maybe I do. Cooties I can handle. Damn, it's a pretty fucking good milkshake. Told you. I don't know if it was worth five dollars. It was pretty fucking good. Yeah, and then his reaction after sipping it—he's so high on heroin. He's like, "It's pretty fucking good." <laughs> <laughs> and then he's, he's driving there so fucking high on heroin. His the face yeah. when he's cruising over to Mia's apartment and the music is playing—it's like Vince, pull the fuck over. You might hit a kid, man. You were high on heroin. You were driving. Uh, but anyways, the dance scene, obviously, you know, there's been so many things written about that. It, it's just, it oozes with chemistry. But then again, it's playing with expectation. She's this beautiful woman in sex. You're getting a sexy vibe from them dancing. The dialogue is hot. She's on the movie poster. You assume like, damn, she is going to be in a sex scene and it's going to be hot. Like it's definitely the way that it's going. And no, she ends up snorting Vince's. $1,500 heroin <laughs> ODs and then they go to Lance's house which is so good I'm sorry we got another Lance scene and then you know they draw a felt pen a magic marker yeah. and then, and then the, the, the just the motion that he does to do it and then the instant revival the 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 stuff coming out of the needle the camera looking up at it oh my god it's so good talk it's, about it forever yeah and how about also let's give a quick shout out to Tarantino for basically writing and teasing uh, Kill Bill in that same scene where Uma Thurman's character, Mia, is talking about Fox Force 5, a TV show she was on or appeared in or whatever. And it's basically the entire hit, man, hit squad of, uh, of Kill Bill. And Uma Thurman plays the bride in Kill Bill. Yeah, catch-up, right? Isn't that the punchline of the joke? That's the joke, yeah. No, so <laughs> that one is so good, oh, too, because – it's the same scene, but it's like she's she just got revived. She's so fucked up, and she wants to tell the punchline of the ketchup joke. Yeah, yeah, and then Travolta plays it so well too. He hears it, he kind of laughs. Oh, and you know what I also love about that whole sequence is the fucking you're gonna go home and you're gonna jerk off. You're gonna jerk off, and you're good. That's it. Your night's gonna be over. <laughs> I I must yeah I must have quoted that so many times in college. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> It's just like every guy has been there looking at themselves in the mirror being like, you know what? You're too fucked up. She's not that into you. Don't be stupid. You're going to go home and jerk off and it'll be okay. Uh, <laughs> it's the right attitude to have when you're when you're Travolta and that high on heroin. Oh, yeah. Um, anyways, the script of that movie is just amazing. And the, the, just the dialogue between you and Thurman. And, and everything Travolta. about that movie just oozes coolness, for the lack of a better word. Like, it's just an infinitely cool movie like all these scenes you're just like god that's a cool fucking scene <laughs> so but uh let's get to your number one my this number one e- equally as good of a scene and I, you know again i would have put it on my top five but i i didn't want to uh didn't want to 
overlap too much. <laughs> I, I swerved intentionally away from it. Yep, and I, it's because it's it's a it's a phenomenal scene. It might be up there with some of my favorite just scenes in movie history. And it's from Inglorious Bastards. It's the tavern scene, the three whiskeys. Ah, it, it like everything about it. And again, same thing with uh, with the Hans Landa scene, the opening. The tension in that scene is off right, the charts. Yeah. And it's building and building and building. Into the basement, they already know that it's it's a fucked location, and then they, of course, the unluckiness is they stumble upon the Germans who are celebrating the kid's birth, and they're drunk. Yep. And yeah, and then they just it runs amok from there. And from from the opening beat, it seems like it's going to be fucked, and of course, it, it totally is. Yeah, hundred percent of the way. And everything is is just so well shot too. Like the same idea. The the cinematography is great. Everything is great. The starting with the drinking game to you know Wilhelm just stumbling over there and, and just being like, oh your your accent's weird. Like that's that's the one little thing that set everything in motion is him being like, your accent's weird. <laughs> and then of course the artist Trageza. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and everything about it is so good. And I so this this is something that I've I've since picked up on later. Is you know when I first watched that scene in the theaters, I was like, God, that actor is incredible. And it's Michael Fassbender who as I've, yeah, as the decade has gone on, he's been an incredible movie star, but he just completely stole the show there. And and his acting is great. The, just the the tension I said between them is, is phenomenal. But I love to, when finally he reveals himself, he asks for three whiskeys and holds up as an Americans do the index middle and ring finger. And you kind of know that something is off because the German SS guys staring at him, and kind of like they keep – and this is, again, the, the cinematography. The, the Tarantino keeps the camera fixed so you can see Fassbender's three fingers incorrectly. But you can also see the SS's eyes moving. Like he, just, he knows something is wrong right away. And oh, if, yeah. you're, if you're picking it up, if you're an intelligent viewer, you got it right away. But I didn't. I'm like, what the fuck? How do you give himself up until later in the movie they explain it? The German three is with your thumb. Oh, man. That he knows dope. it too. You can see his face drop. Yeah. And uh, – the best part about that is just like they come to the eventual conclusion that like whatever is going to be happening between the two of them, they're both going to probably die in this yeah. this tavern. And that inevitability is really not felt in any other uh, Tarantino movie, the, the kind of uh, inevitable death feeling, you know, the, the just the dread of that, which is kind of funny because all of his movies have massive deaths, but it's not like. In Reservoir Dogs, does anyone think they're going to die or, like, are facing – I mean, I guess Roth's character at the very end yeah. is freaking out about death. But uh, he's already shot when you get to know him, so it's totally different. It's, right. it's like he shot in the first five seconds. Right. So, But, I mean, Bossman, or you just see the drop on his face because he realizes, like, this is Archie yep. Hickox's last moment and he, he wants to go out speaking the King's English. <sighs> and, what a line. But, too, yeah, right, so, right before that line, too, you can see the way they film it, too, is that – He's drinking the scotch or the whiskey so slowly too, and like he's he's holding it like he knows it's going to end, and then he drops that genius line. I mean, it is an all-time line where he goes, "Well, if this is it, old boy, I hope you don't mind if I go out speaking to kings." Yeah, what a fucking so, line! <laughs> it's amazing. Oh man, so that's There's my enough good things to say about that that sequence. Uh, you know, I'm playing the. Uh, king kong game is yep the heads up game or whatever the tension again is just the way and it's silly too it's like they're they're having fun but they're also it's just so tense and then uh, to the point where where everything happens there's the massive shootout everyone dies except for wilhelm and then you got brad pitt's character aldo coming in and it's fucking hysterical he's like hey willie willie we gotta trust each other (laughs) yeah 
It's like, that's a fucking Mexican standoff. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we're including that. <laughs> that's so true. It is part of the scene. And the, yeah, the, the post shootout is, is also amazing. You're right. Yeah. So those are our top fives. I know I quickly threw in, I, I think I mentioned most of my runner ups uh, that I could have put in there. You nailed them. You got, you know, Mr. Blonde's ear scene. Uh, I wanted to quickly throw in the Christopher Walken watch scene, which we talked about. Um, I've also got the Jackrabbit Slim saw, uh, scene that you had in there because that's just great. That that could be my number one, to be honest. Um, Hans Landa, the first time we meet him, once upon a time in occupied Nazi France. Now, one we didn't cover is from Jackie yes. Brown. <laughs> and Jackie Brown is such a good movie, I, and it's I so feel different. I'm really glad that we didn't have any Jackie Browns on our list. I, I, I know, but it's it's because it's such a different movie. It's more of a slow burn than some of his other movies. And it's the scene where De Niro is uh, is leaving the mall, walking down the parking lot with Melanie, <laughs> and he just gets so sick of her. She's asking all these questions. And he's like, "You know what? Fuck it." He just decides to shoot her out of nowhere. Oh, Lewis. oh, oh it's so he's bad. all time. He's so it's good. So great what he did in that character because he's so not himself. Yeah. <laughs> He looks like himself, so you automatically know it's him. But if if someone wasn't a movie fan, or like let's just say like a young person today just put on Jackie Brown and didn't really know, I think you could get away with maybe not knowing it's him because he's so played down. It's yeah. such a different role. It's unlike anything else in his entire uh, filmography. Yeah, it's, it's the great. least De Niro role of his life, but it's it's so good and it's so memorable. <laughs> yeah, and uh, their their chemistry. Bridget Fonda is an all time annoying nag and. Uh, yeah, Lewis does away with her. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. It's perfect. So those I mean, are my Beaumont, runner. We should talk about Beaumont though. And Chris Beaumont. Because <laughs> you have a question on here at the bottom of who would you like Tarantino to, to, to work with again? Can we get Tarantino and Chris Tucker together again? I oh man. And I, I don't, I think this was this, this was after Friday, correct? With the, with ice cube. I'm pretty this sure it was after, after Friday. Yes. So yeah, Friday was 95. This was 96. Okay, perfect. So it, and it, it, in my head, I, I think it's the exact same character. Like I think that might as well be the character from Friday. It's just the fast talking, the sarcasm, and Sam Jackson's character is so calm with him. He's just basically like, come on, man. And he just gets in the trunk, and you're like, what, what the fuck is about going on? And then bam. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good. I think we said before that we started taping, all the deaths in this uh, movie, are they're all classic scenes. I mean, you've got... Melanie's death, Lewis's death, and uh, Beaumont's death. Those are all three uh, They're great. memorable ones. Uh, and I definitely wanted to get one of those on the uh, list. I just unfortunately could not. There's just too many good. There's too many good ones. And real quick, I just want to give an honorable mention to my guy Michael Keaton in Jackie Brown. It, yes, good. I was uh, going to say that too. I'm glad you did. I love that character, Ray Nicolette. And this is actually interesting because I believe that Ray Nicolette is the same character in the movie Out of Sight with uh, with Jennifer Lopez and, and George Clooney. I believe. Oh he, yeah, he's cl- he's classic in that. He's yeah, here. yeah. So you, you got a guy crossing over from a Tarantino movie into another great movie. Uh, too good. All right, man. Give me. Uh, I mean, you don't. You don't usually see that in someone's filmography. You know? No. It's like, oh, you played the same character twice. It must be. The, it must be some movie connection. No. No. Nope. Well, it must be the same director. No. It's like, uh, okay. It's unreal. <laughs> um, okay, so give us your runner-up scenes. I know we talked about some of them already. Yeah, Tavern Scene is my number one runner-up because it's truly in my top five. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to clog it up with too many inglorious bastards pulp fiction because it was just getting too <laughs> too clogged with those two movies in particular uh the vincent lance drug exchange as i mentioned is really yep. my true favorite uh it's just so damn funny um the bride kills bill we went over that is 
the emotional apex, I think, of Tarantino's career, Bill walking away, dropping, and then, you know, not a lot of these people get redemption. I mean, she gets the full redemption, yep. and she has the kid at the end. I mean, yeah, I, I guess Aldo Rain, you know, he he gets the redemption of carving up Wallace's forehead, which is also <laughs> great. To, another yeah. great Tarantino scene <laughs> is the ending of, of Inglorious Bastards. Uh, the Candyland diner scene or dinner scene, you, you had, you'd mentioned that. That is just an all-time tension builder. I feel bad Django was not on my top five, but I have a lot of them in the honor, honorable mention. You had the Clan Hood scene. And then, uh, so these are my other honorable mentions. Killing Hitler. I just love the unnecessary amount of violence that they used. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just so many bullets. It's so good. Um, I often think when I'm in pure rage, I'm just like, <laughs> my, gun, my fake gun down pointing it at Hitler in the movie theater uh shooting marvin in the face jimmy's house i mean you get the wolf and you get the shooting of marvin which is just such an underrated moment as i've yeah. highlighted crazy 88s and kill bill i'd be remiss not to mention that yeah, that seems crazy uh, yeah the intro to calvin candy is my ninth honorable mention <laughs> and that's just because he's just i said Matson was the original villain i think calvin candy is i mean hans is a great villain too but i mean you gotta love Calvin Candy is all-time villainous, and you don't love him. You definitely do not love him. He's right. pure evil. And what's crazy about that is he doesn't show up in the movie until an hour into the fucking right. movie. Right. Again, it's the playing of expectations because you read about it before. It's like, oh, Leonardo DiCaprio is the third bill in this. He must be in it a lot. Nope, not really. Just yeah. like uh, Michael Fassbender's in a limited time in Inglorious Bastards. Leo's not in a lot of it, but he makes the most of it. And that intro scene is so good. It's the juxtaposition of the violence and then – Jamie Foxx gets uppity with him and, and yep. it's, it, the, it's, it's funny and it's tense and, and you really don't know how it's going to play out. And, uh, just such an erratic character. He's cheering as the guy's killing the other guy. It's, it's wild. And then of course the opening scene of Reservoir Dogs is the last one. We'd be remiss to yep. not talk about that. And, you know, that, uh, that to me is pop cultural references. Yep. And, the, and, yeah. and that really is in many ways his intro into the movie world. I mean, I know he wrote, True, de- uh, true romance, true detective. What the fuck? True romance. Uh, but that scene where they're just making all the the pop culture references. They're talking about Madonna like a virgin, and they're all going around the table. And same thing, the way it's shot too. Like you just see everyone at the table. Dick, dick, dick. dick yep. Dick, dick. Oh, it's, it's great. <laughs> um. So those are our scenes. And then of course the co- the coffee tipping. I mean, it's like I yeah. mentioned the milkshake uh, quoting of all. I mean, you quote his lines all day long. I mean, say what again? I mean, you, he's so quotable, but it's like the tipping of the coffee. Whenever I go out with my brother, I feel like it's every other time we mention like, I don't, I don't tip for coffee. <laughs> I mean, how many times do you have coffee? You have coffee all the time. And yeah. I think about that, no tipping for coffee almost every time I have coffee. I mean, it's ridiculous how much that guy is a part of my life. It's and it's true. You tip some places, you don't tip other places. It's just society. It's like, what? who would have thought of that? <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, we can do a whole pot on the psychology of tipping and the, and the etiquette of it but yeah it's it's so wild that that's how he opens the movie yeah so before all, we jump in a while with with all these crazy pop cultural things right right um before we jump into and and kind of give our quick list of the top uh eight so far movies of tarantino um we got to talk about true romance and sure yeah the so iconic scene the iconic scene between we Christopher made, Walken and Dennis Hopper. That we weren't going to do that in our top five just because it wasn't in a Tarantino movie. And I think everybody knows that it's like, again, talking about, I mean, great monologue in Pulp Fiction, Walken and Hopper 
one of the best exchanges in any movie. And just two incredible actors as well. So yeah, the dialogue, it's not a monologue. It's a two actor monologue. An exchange. I don't even know what you would call that, but yeah. Two man play. Right. A two man play that I would watch at any second of any day. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, you kind of hint, you know, mentioned this about Inglorious Bastards in the tavern scene where you had that imminent death. I, I think in that scene, Hopper yeah, knows he's right. going to die too. That might be the only exception, yeah. but it, again, it's not a, a true Tarantino flick, even though he, just, he only wrote it. Um, but just seeing them go back and forth and then walking being like, I haven't killed somebody since 1984 or something like that. Something ridiculous. Yeah. The, the walking character in that is he's so lived in yet he's in the movie for five minutes. It's it really is a, it's a testament to the, the screenplay, uh, but also the actor. And it's just the, that scene in particular is so good. Oh man. And you got one more honorable mention. We mentioned, uh, intros. So give us this one. Cause it's so good. Oh yeah. I was going to say the other ones are, I think better, like quote unquote movie scenes. And then he's doing more in inglorious bastards and Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. Then they do more with the camera and the scripts are great. But man, Django Unchained has one of the funniest intros of any movie. Who's out there stumbling in the dark? State your business where you get winged. It's just like, I, I say that line all the time too now. I feel like that's actually transcended some of his other quotes, like the <laughs> Pulp Fiction stuff. The Django intro dialogue is actually... That's in my rhetoric more on a daily basis than the Pulp Fiction stuff. I had to give it an honorable mention. It's not worth putting in the top 10 or anything like that, but it's so funny. And, and I forget some of the actual words that Christoph Waltz is throwing around there, but the, the slave driver's like, speak English, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> he is. He's just yeah. using big words. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He's talking them in circles. It's so funny. Those oh, two man. guys are great. It's perfect. So, uh, all right, let's uh, let's quickly give us the uh, the rundown of the top movies. So, you you go ahead, run down from eight to one. I was going to say, I think we agree on eight and seven. Yep. Uh, Death Death Proof Grindhouse is my eight. I've only seen it once. I remember liking the Quentin Tarantino portion of that dual feature a lot more than the Robert Rodriguez. So, I'll give him credit there. But it's just it, it's not. Uh, it's only about, I think there's only four characters and it's like, they're only in the car. Yeah. So it's like, it's, 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 it's got the reservoir dogs thing where it's a short cast and it's only in one setting or there's like two settings. And so it's, I like that about it, but like, it just doesn't hit the mark that reservoir dogs had. I do like it. I agree. I, I don't, I don't hate it, but it's definitely just, it doesn't offer as much as the other ones do. And then hatefully, um, we should also throw honorable mention to the Sam Jackson, Bruce Dern scene where yeah. he talks about killing Bruce Dern's son. Cause that's an all time. I remember crazy. just like walking out of that movie and I like just was thinking about that scene for like days on end. I actually like had nightmares about it. I was like, Holy shit. And it's like, this is intense. Uh, but anyways, hopefully I've only seen twice. So it would be unfair to put it above these other ones. I agree. And I thought it was also too long. Yep. And way too long. I would guess this is the reason why the next one is actually outside of my top five. And it was really hard to do this, but I think Django Unchained is number six just because he doesn't have as much restraint in it. I think it, 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 it goes too long. It's not as tight as a Reservoir Dogs or uh, Inglorious Bastards. That just there's no, there's no need for editing in those two movies. There's no need for editing in a Pulp Fiction. But in Django Unchained, I feel like there might have been stuff that he could have cut out, Real, especially yep. some of the stuff towards the end. Uh, Real yeah. quick, I totally agree with you. It's like 30 minutes. It's not maybe 30 minutes. It's probably like 20 minutes too long. It should have ended with that dinner scene where they have the big yeah. shootout and and uh, Django and Broomhilda should just walked off. That should have been the end. Yeah, I also 
I love how downplayed the evilness of Sam Jackson's character is. Because oh. he really is actually the villain behind Calvin yep. Candy. If we were doing Tarantino villain rankings, I'd actually have Calvin Candy 1, Steven 2, <laughs> Christoph Waltz 3, and then Michael Madsen 4. And that's saying a lot. That <laughs> um, is. Yeah, but I really do think Steven's an evil guy. But it's like they almost didn't get enough out of Sam Jackson. I've always kind of felt that way. And then the other thing about it is it's like it's really, really funny and it has its peaks and uh, I love it dearly. But it's just it doesn't I don't know. There's something about it that it's not top five for me right now in this moment. I do love it. I'm not hating on it in any way. I just just couldn't find a way for it in my top five. That's tough. Um, Yeah, Jackie Brown is my fifth. Um, There's just not enough good things to say about Jackie Brown. I think it's his most quiet movie it's his most meditative movie. He's thinking the most in it. Uh, he's doing something we've talked about a few times in some of these other scenes, but he's thinking about death and the inevitable decline. And he's playing that out with several different characters. Uh, and it's also just like a great, like low stakes movie too. There's nothing like too, um, like there's a lot of tension, but there's also not a lot of like, they're only talking about a couple hundred thousands of dollars. Right. It's not like the, there's no briefcase. There's no, real mystery it's it's just like a fun in and out movie yep it's just so well shot and well wrote uh, well written um and then the final four i'm just gonna whip through them because i'm taking too much time i apologize kill bill one and two uh love those two movies it's hard to put them together but yeah I think together they do soar above jackie brown i think the some of the fight scenes and the emotional gut punch of kill bill uh one and two that's why it's over Django and chain on my list as, as much as i love Django, right now i just I've seen Kill Bill one most recently of any of Tarantino's movies other than Pulp Fiction because I was watching Pulp last night. But, uh, yeah, I have Kill Bill at four. Reservoir Dogs at three. I can't put the OG anywhere but the top three. I definitely was thinking about doing Jackie Brown, but Reservoir Dogs is just so quotable. That's great. Such an an impact, such a legacy. Inglorious Bastards is near perfect, uh, or is perfect, I actually think, and uh, definitely one of my favorite movie-going experiences. That's my number two. And then Pulp Fiction. I was going to get cute and put Bastards at number one, but you know what? Pulp Fiction's been in my top five since I was 13 years old the first time I saw it. It's just the movie that has impacted me the most as a film goer, and I love the script, and I love the characters, and I'm unapologetically in love with Pulp Fiction. Hey, man, that's that's a perfectly reasonable uh, list. It's a perfectly reasonable reason to have that as your top movie, so I'm I'm fine with it. It's perfectly good. Uh, I'm me, intrigued to hear your list because you yeah. have Django higher, and I want to hear why some of the other ones are lower. Yep. Uh, I'm with you with Death Proof as my eight, and The Hateful Eight is my number seven. They're just not quite on the same level as some of these other ones. I mean, from there, to be honest, I could really see any of these kind of flipping between four and six for me. So I got killed. Yeah, I should one mention and, that with my list too. They yeah. do flip. Yeah. So Django has been as high as number two when I watched it the most and I do love it so much. Yeah. I just, I don't know if he's saying, he doesn't like say stuff in these movies. Uh, he, that's not like what he's doing, but like, I just don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. There's just something about it. That's like missing something. Oh, you know what it is too. It's like, it's very straightforward. He doesn't play with time. Yep. There's no timeline changes. Like, yep. Pulp fiction is truly creative masterpiece. And, Inglorious, same deal. It's just yeah. Keep yeah. going with your list. Um, so I got Jackie Brown at five. It's just it's so unique from his his movies. Uh, amazing rewatch. It's a slow burn, like I said. For me, I got Reservoir Dogs number four, and this is tough. Sometimes three that gets as high as three. Uh, it's just so it, it was innovative, and it was a very different movie from anything I had seen before. I've got Django at three. 
I just, it, it's from the moment I saw that movie and, and to this day, I will say it is a little too long and definitely drags. Um, but the first, you know, two hours of that movie, I am just obsessed with Jamie Foxx is great. We're going to get a little, uh, ditty into this about Jamie Foxx's role in a little bit. Um, Christoph Waltz, I mean, he obviously won another Academy award for this movie after Inglorious Bastards. He's, he's so good. Uh, it's just something about the the set pieces are, are bigger. It's just, it's kind of a more entertaining. And for me, the balance of like absurdist humor mixed with like the in, incredible Tarantino action and violence. And I just, I'm a, I'm a big Leo fan. It's a, you know, he, he's just one of my favorite actors. So him as candy is just, yeah. Oof. Leo, Leo doing when it first came out, Leo being in a Quentin Tarantino movie was just like my mouth dropped to the floor. Yeah. And I, that's why I'm really curious about once upon a time in Hollywood, because him as the villain in a Tarantino movie was so good. It just, he, he brought all the right energy. He brought all the right, uh, like not charm, but you know, his character is trying to be charming. He's trying to come off as this like, you know, really, uh, high society guy. He wants to be called Monsieur candy, but he doesn't speak French. Like it's just, it's, it's a, it's a really good role. Um, and this he lives is in Mississippi for Christ. Right. How exactly. Culture, how culture can he be? <laughs> Um, and this is controversial. I do, I do love Mississippi, by the way, coming across the screen. And yep, and that right that always that always gets me. Going. Yeah, um, for me, I got Pulp Fiction at number two, and it's a little controversial because it's been number one, it's been number three, it's it's nowhere below three on his list. Um, my only, only, only beef with this movie, and it's probably the only reason why it's not a permanent fixture at number one, is the gimp scene. I just. Oh, yeah. Not a fan of the gimp gimp scene. I just, I don't know. I don't know what it's trying to say about the movie. I think I'm poisoned on the whole Bruce Willis arc because of the girlfriend. But I do, I do love the absurdity of the gimp scene. I think what it just represents is like, I'm going to make my fucking movie and it's going to go in 20 different directions that you cannot even think of. And, you know, it's just like it. It's unlike anything else out there. And oh, for like sure. The gimp, the gimp adds to that. It's the it's these little side detours into the Gimp's world, into Lance's world, uh, you know, into Jimmy's world, and the Wolf. And they're all like little side things. They're all like kind of living out there. And I think that's why the the Gimp. I like the Gimp scene because it really fits in with the uh, the movie's ethos. And there's all these like kind of criminal people out there. Like I was saying earlier, they're sitting at diners having pancakes in the morning it's like meanwhile these guys are killers yeah right hand man of a freaking gangster and they're eating breakfast with you in bathing suits and so i don't know i think the gimp is like it's one of those things it's like what was that it was just like a pawn shop and meanwhile it's a seemingly you know normal looking pawn shop yeah and then in the basement it's just (laughs) god knows what hell basically it did give us one of the best lines in the movie when Marcellus goes, I'm going to get me some guys in here. We're going to go medieval on his ass. Medieval <laughs> on his ass. Yeah. No, I mean, the whole Marcellus. I mean, that's, I guess the other thing too, is like, I love the mythology of Marcellus Wallace. And like, you can't think of him without the gimp scene. So yeah, it's like, no, it's true. as much as the girlfriend, the girlfriend costs the Bruce Willis arc, but then Marcellus kind of balances it out. And then it's like, you know, it doesn't really, the trade off is equal. And then you get the gimp. And then it's just like, it's so absurd that yeah. the sword yeah, it's it's great. And my number and one, I also love the preview to Kill Bill with the, the sword. You know, yeah. it's like yeah, it's it's like a little like uh, I, I'm interested in this martial arts world and 
we'll get there eventually. Yeah, and like I said with uh, Uma Thurman's characters, you know, Marcellus or uh, Mia Wallace talks about Foxford Five. He basically laid out all the women characters in, in Kill Bill, so it's kind of interesting that he already had it on his mind. Um, and my number one is Inglorious Bastards. I mean, the tavern scene and the intro scene are two of the best scenes in movie history, and there are basically two of five scenes, two five or two of five really long scenes that make up the entire movie. It's so good, and even Tarantino, I think. <laughs> was speaking for himself and putting his line into Brad Pitt and Aldo Rain at the end where he goes, this might be my masterpiece. This just might be my masterpiece. And I agree. It's, yeah, it's, it's such a good movie. It's got everything you, uh, no, I, I shouldn't, because, you know, Walt wins the supporting actor, but we should put out, we should point out that one of the all time travesties is Martin Landau beating Sam Jackson in Pulp Fiction. Oh. So, you know, I think, I think a Quentin Tarantino actor should have had a statue before, uh, yeah. Walt, but I yeah. mean, you have all-time Brad Pitt at the peak of his powers. You've Walt. Uh, Melanie Laurent is absolutely phenomenal in it. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the cast is at their all-time best. And I think I don't think there's a, anybody in the cast is in a movie that's better than this. Fassbender, all-time. Diane Kruger, all-time. Kruger, yep. Daniel Bruhl, yep. all-time. They're all. DJ Novak, yeah, he's more famous in The Office, but this is like, I mean, he's Yulevich. I mean, yeah. I, I I said the word Yulevich, the name Yulevich. Probably he's probably one of the top fifteen movie reference characters in of all the character movie, <laughs> movie characters that I reference is is Yulevich. He's a, such a bit part in in one movie. Yeah, but it's I mean, like he's got Yulevich is just like the ultimate. I don't know. It's the name is so. It's huge. a great name, and and every actor is just bringing their 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 fastball. They're throwing ninety eight every time, and that's what Tarantino does. Is he really brings out the best in in the actors and actresses in the movie. And my friend, that is also a fantastic segue to our final piece of today's podcast. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. This is the, uh, we're kind of talking, you know, a lot of his recent movies have been these kind of dream, uh, anti-reality, you know, or yeah. discover, you know, revisionist history. history. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Revisionist history. And so, uh, we're going to do a little bit of that. Uh, my first one was actually a guy, who they were trying to push into the, the uh, Vince Vega role. And that's Daniel day Lewis. He was rumored to be Vince Vega. Hardy Weinstein was pushing for him. And then they eventually landed on John Travolta, who I think QT wanted all along, but yeah, they were definitely, they're definitely trying to get Daniel day Lewis in full fiction. Wow. That's wild. Can't even think, can't even think about that. So My head will explode. real quick too, what we're doing is we're going to just picture some actors and actresses that we think would be great in a Tarantino movie that have not yet been in one. So, I actually did not know that Daniel Day Lewis was supposed to be in Pulp Fiction. That's pretty. That's absolutely wild. Yeah, I don't know if it. I don't know if it went anything more than the studio wanted him. I don't know if he was ever like actually officially attached to it, but the, the studio wanted him in that that lead role. Do you think if if Tarantino is supposedly doing one last movie, would you see? Could you see him in there? I mean, it would PTA. I mean, uh, Daniel Day Lewis would have to come out of retirement because his last movie with Paul Thomas Anderson was. He he said he was done. Yeah, so they would. He would have to come out of retirement to do QT, or uh, yeah, QT's last film. I mean, that would be an amazing story. I would be, it, it would be worth it. Yeah, <laughs> that would be something. So, now, I love your next one because we kind of touched on this one already. Yeah, Jack Nicholson was my next one on my list, and it just kind of goes that he's he's worked with so many of Hollywood's elite legends, the you know Hoppers, the Kaitels, the De Niro's, Pacino is in this new one, Bruce Dern, Walken, and we talk about all these people. Nicholson's kind of missing from that old, uh, the previous generation. So it'd be fun to see him working. I mean, just hearing Jack Nicholson speak Quentin Tarantino dialogue. I mean, my God, yeah, I can't, I mean, he's great at doing so many other great screenwriters dialogues. Uh, 
Alexander Payne's and, uh, you know, Aaron Sorkin's he's done so many great movie roles over the years that it would be so great to hear him talk in the, the Quentin Tarantino tongue. The dialogue. Yeah. This next one, unfortunately we'll never get to see, but it's a fascinating one. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Birthday, birthday is actually today. And PTA was hogging him throughout his career. He, he couldn't get, he couldn't get out to do a Quentin Tarantino. He movie. was such a good actor, man. Like everything he's been in, even from when he had been like comedic roles, he was fantastic in those too. Yeah, I wonder if his, if he was inspired. Uh, what the hell is the movie that he was nominated for with Tom Hanks? He oh Charlie like Wilson's dirt, War. Yes, he played like a dirtbag in DC. Yeah. I wonder if De Niro's turn in Jackie Brown inspired him to like play it like sleazy like that or something. Mm. Like I don't know, but I think of when I put Philip Seymour Hoffman on my list, I immediately first thing I thought of De Niro and Jackie Brown, something like that. Yeah, perfect for him. I mean, Not his the role lead character. His role in the Charlie Wilson's War is similar. Like that character could have been in a Tarantino movie if it's, you know, a little different. <laughs> right. I mean, Tarantino builds these wild universes too. We didn't really touch upon that. So all these characters are interconnected. Yeah. And there, there's family trees and all these different, you know, brands that he's throwing out there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all like. It's all connected. This, yeah. It's like he's Marvel basically of his own world. It's, it's so great. So. And I, See, I love your next one, man. This next yeah, one is really well, fascinating. Matt Damon, just to kind of stoke the Leo Damon argument of, you know, who's the better actor of this generation or whatever. I would also just like to see, again, Damon read off dialogue from Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. I think he's, he's a great actor. I love when, you know, I love when he gets fiery, too. I love a fiery Damon. So I feel like there's no way he's in a Quentin Tarantino movie and he's playing Jason Bourne. He's playing no. someone. He's playing a hothead, and that's like... That's my favorite Matt Damon. Like my ideal Damon. would be a mix of like Damon in the Oceans movies mixed with Damon in Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you know what? I, those are two of my favorite Damons, and, and he is more subdued in both of those. But he's – yeah, any, anything with Damon and Quentin Tarantino. would be great. Yeah. All right, uh, fin- finish out the list. Yeah, kind of the most obvious. Christian Bale, one of the greatest living working actors. Uh, I mean, just a mat. I can't even think of what it would look like for him to be in a Quentin Tarantino movie. What the role would even be? That was just kind of a mystery. You throw up a question mark. Tom Hanks, again, same thing. Yeah. What would that even look like? Oof. And then Denzel, Denzel Washington. I mean, we've seen Samuel Jackson fire off some of Quentin Tarantino's lines. I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah. Denzel as Steven or yeah. Jules Winfield or. Some of these other characters. Like, I'm actually oh shocked he hasn't because he seems like he was becoming a, a major superstar in the time the Tarantino's movies were, were happening. Like he could have been in almost well, any of those movies. It goes to these like kind of like brand associations. It's like we're saying Pitt and Leonardo are now QT guys because they're now doing their second movies with them. But it's like how many Spike Lee movies has Denzel did? And maybe there's a feud between Spike and Quentin that yeah. we don't know of. Yeah. You know, I know Quentin – you know, he does a lot of the swearing and I apologize for, I might've dropped the curse word quoting him earlier in the, the pod, but, uh, you know, he's unapologetic with his language and part that's part of the reason why people love him. Part of the reason why people hate him. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, it goes, it goes both ways. I personally think it's real and, you know, I get in arguments all the time. I, every time he comes out of the movie, it's like the argument is like, Oh, is he too like cursive and too abrasive? It's like, no, this is the guy's fucking art. And he believes that this is the way people talk. And clearly, I think he's more right than he's wrong. And it's like, yeah, it's abrasive and it's a tough pill to swallow. In like the first minute of Hateful Eight, there's an N-word. <laughs> yeah, 
it, it's kind of cringeworthy, but like, you, A, you just have to expect it with him. And I don't know why you're so sensitive. You know, the guy's going to go there. Yep. You know, it's like having a family member that's going to talk about politics. Why are you going to get upset? You know, they're going to go there. So it's just like, let them do it. <laughs> that's a great analogy. You know? Yeah. But yeah, he, I don't know where I was going with that, but you know, he does write, you know, insensitive language, I guess would be the reason why Denzel, maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. Him. Some well, of it's Spike Lee. And it's, it's a good segue to mine. So mine, the first one I thought of instantly was Will Smith and Will Smith famously turned down the role of Django. And right. we, we all assume, I think, I think it's actually come out that the reason why he didn't want to do it was it was too controversial for Will Smith's brand. But man, think about that for a second. Will Smith in the role of Django. I remember reading about that. I was in a journalism class in Denver in college, and I just clicked on this article. I was like, Will Smith backs out of Django. I remember clicking on that and just being like, oh, that's a fucking disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. this is like, would have been so much better with Will Smith in it. But I, you know what? I actually think it worked out. I was super bummed, but uh, I agree. Jimmy Fox is. He killed it. Back. Yeah. yeah he, he, he has an edge to him that Will Smith just never doesn't have. have. Yep. He doesn't allow himself to have. He's too cautious. This- my next one is a little interesting. I picked uh, Emily Blunt. So similar kind of with the Uma Thurman-ish feel. Like she was great in uh, Girl on the Train, I believe it was. And she was great in uh, Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise. Like I thought oh, yeah. she'd be good in those ones. So, She's a phenomenal um, actress. My next one's kind of obvious. And I actually wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Donald Glover. I feel like he could be in one of these roles. Like he's so good in Atlanta. He could be funny. He could be serious. He could be a villain. He could be a good guy. Really that versatile. Be a really, a really interesting one too. Yeah, because I feel like Quinn needs. I think he needs for his final. I don't believe he's going to do just ten, but like, let's just say he does. He does need to have like a new muse after. Yeah. This, working with Tarantino and Brad Pitt, he, he definitely needs to like find somebody new to kind of be his like new, you know, new I actor. I guess. I think Jake, work. Jake Gyllenhaal could be interesting. I'm not sure why. Um, Seth Rogen too. I, I would love to see how somehow Seth Rogen worked into a Tarantino movie. Yeah. He's got the uh, dramatic kind of like Jonah Hill. He can do the yep. dramatic and the, the comedy and, and he can swear and he's not, he doesn't hold off either. He's not reserved. So I can definitely, uh, that'd be a great, I mean, I'm more than happy to see Seth Rogen. And yeah. Tarantino's next movie. And I'm saving my last one for, cause I think it's the most interesting. It's, it, it's similar because we mentioned Paul Thomas Anderson a lot with the actors that we wanted to see in there with Daniel Day Lewis and Philip Seymour Hoffman. In my opinion, Paul Thomas Anderson pulled out one of the best cruise performances ever in Magnolia. Magnolia. It's, it's so different. Yep. So different. So I can't imagine Tom Cruise in a Tarantino movie. I, I don't even know what it would look like. I don't know what he would play, but I want it so badly. I want him to go against his, like, He's done so many of these movies where he's action. Yep. He's the star. He's the good looking action guy. He saves the day. I want like a grimy Tom Cruise performance to like wrap up, not wrap up Tom Cruise's career, but really just bring something to this like later half. Do exactly what uh, Leonardo did with, um, with Django. Yeah. With candy. Yeah. Show that you're, that you're not afraid to do that kind of a part. Yeah. And I mean, I know Cruise again, you just mentioned the biggest one at Magnolia is a, phenomenal acting performance and a great movie um he does show it there but it's been 20 years since that's happened so it's like yeah it's right you're kind of due on the uh let's show your acting chops we know you're an act you, we know you're an acting force and you do all your stunts and all that your physical presence but let's see your act let's see you act again yeah depth. yeah I'd agreed that. 
Well, that wraps up our episode, dude. I, I'm amazed we kept this under like five days, to be honest. <laughs> I think we were I think we were talking fast. I, I apologize if I talk too much, but uh, I was just so excited. I was, hey, I've, been, I've been pumped about this podcast for about a week and a half. Yeah, and we almost didn't even do it complete justice. Like, there's so much more we could have done. So I so think much we meet on the bone. We could probably just do another one like tomorrow. We could, and <laughs> we're we're gonna when we see once upon a time on Hollywood, we're gonna see if any of these lists change, because I have a feeling that this is going to be good. And I hate going into a movie with such high expectations, but I'm, yeah. I just, I'm really expecting this to be a, a, a real home run. Uh, me too. I, my, my four for it is honestly like number four in his canon, which is kind of wild to think that I'm already putting it above potentially kill Bill, Jackie Brown, James, yeah. Shane, hey, Blaine. Yeah. But like that, is, that is kind of where I'm. It's possible. It. It's entirely possible. It's a great. It's a great world. It's 69. It's the end of the decade. It's the end of an era. It's in Hollywood. It's historical. It could be a reimagination if you wanted to be. It could also be step for step with what actually happened with her. Yeah. The possibilities are just endless. It could be I anything. Love. Yeah. Yeah. It really could be anything, and that's the beauty of it. We don't know how it's going to open either. Exactly. I'm sure it's, he's going to. He's going to have a phenomenal opening. Bar. Yeah. He could have a French farm with a guy who's. Holding a family of, uh, <laughs> oh man, under the floorboards again. <laughs> under the floorboards, yeah. You never know. I, it's, it's so wild. Who knows, man? How it's going to start, how it's going to end, and everything that happens in between. I can't wait. Well, you're seeing it tomorrow. I'm hopefully seeing it this weekend. We're going to do a recap on it. Coulter, fantastic work yeah, once again, know. man. This was excellent. Thank you so much for having me on. That was awesome. That's episode forty, folks. We'll see everyone next week. <laughs>